0: All right. Good morning. You happy to be in church today? Good. Good. It's sunny. It's warm. We have one air conditioner broken. It's great. It's going to be fine. All right. But I'm glad you're here. If you're a guest of ours, my name's Mitch. I have the joy of being one of the pastors here at Redeemer City Church. And we've been in the book of Colossians. So if you have a Bible, take it and meet me in Matthew chapter 21. <laughs> Because we're going to look at the triumphal entry of Jesus because today is what? Talk to me. Palm Palm Sunday, right? And we are beginning with Jesus to set our face toward that moment where Jesus would go willingly and lay his life down for you and for me and for his body, the church, which some thousands of years later, we sit here in this moment in gratefulness for that, knowing that Good Friday was not the end, and in fact, the reason that it was good was because of what came three days later. Amen? Amen. I want to pray, though, and ask God to bless our time, and since we are uh, going to pray, I think it would be appropriate to point out that we have really special friends in the room, and they just so have to be standing back there, so everybody turn and look at them. <laughs> A lot of you are new to Redeemer City Church and you're like, they mean nothing to me, but uh, that's okay. That is Ben and Bethany Holmes and their sweet little one. Oh my gosh. And we're supposed to be quiet. I'm not even going to say her name, okay, because we don't want to wake her up. But uh, Ben and Bethany were a part of planting Redeemer City Church uh, Easter five years ago. Can you believe that? So God's been so faithful and they played a huge role in that. And So we're really grateful for them. And uh, Ben's a glutton for punishment. I think he's thinking about doing it again. So uh, you pray for him as well. But uh, I want to pray for them and uh, just what a joy to see them today. And uh, also that God would speak to us, right? The Bible says that when the word of God goes out, it never comes back empty. So you in this moment being here, ordained by God, uh, for what he has to say to you today. So I'm excited about that. It's going to be a great Palm Sunday as we look forward to the fact that he is coming. Let's pray. God, thank you again just to be in the presence of your people. We're told in the Bible and history bears witness that you stepped out of the splendors of heaven. And did not grasp what was yours as God. But you willingly laid down your life so that we could have life. And so today as we consider what that royal road looked like for you as you had set your face toward the city of Jerusalem to lay your life down... To make a way for every single one of us that calls you Lord. That has been adopted into your family. That moment where you paid the price that we deserve to pay on the cross. And then rose three days later to defeat our enemy. You did that because you're God and we're not You saw us in our condition and you loved us. You were moved with compassion. And so we praise you today because you're great. You're enough. And yet we gather here knowing that we're like that dad in the Gospels who you looked him square in the eye and said, do you believe? And he said, I do believe, but I need you to help my unbelief. And so I pray today, Holy Spirit, that through the power of your word, That it would not return empty, but it would accomplish exactly what you would have it accomplish today. As we think about what it means to stand in Christ, what it means to surrender to you as Lord of our life, and why is that such good news? As we think about your triumphal entry into Jerusalem to die and rise again. We love you. Would you meet with us in this moment? It's your name we pray. Amen. I don't know about you specifically, but the vast majority of our culture, and I'm guessing around the world, uh, and probably more in some places, but we're enamored with royalty. If you think about it, it's... The movies, it's what our, what we grow up as kids, pretending we're the king or pretending we're the prince or the princess or the queen. And we role play and we dream about what could be if I had been born into a royal family. And we, we talk about that and we get it. And, uh, if you don't believe me, uh, I want to put up that first picture, Jordan, if you can, of uh, a certain conversation with Oprah. Uh, Not too long ago was, of course, Prince Harry and Meghan uh, being interviewed by Oprah. And the, the stats came out from Nielsen that more than 17 million people in our country watched that conversation. 17 million thought that was important enough to ignore each other for a significant amount of time to hear about a life that they will never live. Are you tracking with me? Some of you feel guilty right now. And that's not why I brought it up. 17 million people. But, but listen, it gets even more impressive in that same family. In July of 2019, you can go to the next picture, Jordan. Uh, in July of 2019, the writers at Vogue mused over this very topic of our being enamored with royalty. And here's what they had to say. I'm just going to read it to you. Royal weddings... Have been fascinating. I love this. Commoners for generations. That's us, by the way. <laughs> you didn't know that, but you're a nobody, and they just want you to know that. <laughs> In 2011, Prince William and Kate Middleton captivated the world with a gobsmacking. What a great word. Listen to this, though. This is where we should feel guilty. A gobstopping, gobsmacking, two. Billion global viewers—that's insane. Perhaps it's the garb, the tiaras, the twenty-five-foot trains, grooms in full military dress. That's the real dream—that <laughs> you're a prince, you're knight in shining armor. Perhaps it's the pomp and circumstance, century-old rituals, gilded carriages, and thousands of onlookers—in this case, billions. But here's a telling line, or perhaps it's just a desire to take a glimpse into a fairy tale made real. We get that, right? We, we watch something like the royal wedding and we recognize that we are watching something that will not be real for us. And so we live vicariously through these other people who have the life we wish we had. And yet, time and time again, we, we see in culture over and over and over that that does not deliver on its promise, does it? That no matter how much money, no matter how much fame, no matter how much you fill in the blank for what you feel would solve your problems... And satisfy the deepest longings of your soul. That that ain't it. And yet we will repeatedly and repeatedly and repeatedly strive for the very same thing. Knowing that in the end it's not going to give us what we want. And so last week I suggested to you in Colossians. That what is happening in our culture. I don't personally think is a problem with the Christian faith from science, a problem from the Christian faith with history. I think there are sufficient answers to those questions when we play by the world's own rules of what is true and untrue. And if you want to have that conversation, I would love to. Let's do that. But here's where I think the vast majority of people in this world at this moment have a problem with the teachings and the ways of Jesus is that it's actually not a scientific issue or a historical issue, but it's a lordship issue. I don't want him to be in charge of me. That is where the rubber meets the road. We want to run our lives. And maybe you wouldn't be so brazen as to walk up to me and say, Pastor, I want to run my life. But you and I know, we we on a daily basis make decisions for us. And it's our sin nature. We certainly don't want some historic Middle Eastern carpenter from Nazareth running our life. Because after all, as they said in the scripture, can anything good come out of Nazareth? But here we are on Palm Sunday, looking at a triumphal entry. It was a royal road that Jesus walked down. The people, as we'll read in a second, were shouting, Hosanna in the highest, because here is the king that we've been waiting for. The son of David. He's going to come. Hosanna, the word itself, means save now. That's what they wanted they wanted salvation from the wrong thing. Palm Sunday is about the king. Sit with that for a second. Not that version. (laughs) But king of kings. Lord of lords. Creator of the universe. Caring specifically about you and the decisions that you will make in your life that he wants to be a part of. Pretty amazing. The triumphal entry is reserved for kings, and Jesus was not the only one to have a triumphal entry. It was, in fact, common that kings would parade themselves through their cities, showing what they have conquered oftentimes bringing the defeated king with to be executed in front of their people so they could cheer their king, the king of kings, right? It makes sense historically why they would shout these things at Jesus because as he rode in to Jerusalem to their praise and shouts and pomp and circumstance, they no doubt thought, our time is now, it's finally here. So what changed from that moment to that Good Friday when those very same people, most likely, had changed their tune from Hosanna in the highest, he who comes in the name of the Lord to crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. What changed in the gap of that week in the heart of man? Those unmet expectations, We learn something altogether different about this king and what it looks like to surrender control to this king, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. What kind of man, what kind of God is Jesus? So for that, let's look at Jesus' own triumphal entry, because as we left Colossians last week, it was that question of who will be Lord of your life. And I want to I press you further into that because the triumphal entry is about this King and we learn some things that are critical to our understanding of this King and what next weekend on Friday and Sunday means so much about. So, Matthew chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. Here's what it says. Now when they, this is Jesus and his disciples... When they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied, a colt with her. A colt would be a baby donkey. Untie them and bring them to me, and if anyone says says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them. Just put yourself in the shoes of that business owner. Here come these uneducated fishermen. They're untying your brand new baby Colt and his mom. And you say, hey, what are you doing with my donkey? Why are you taking my car? That's theft. And they look you in the eye and say, it's okay. The Lord needs them. (laughs) What are you doing in that moment? No, he doesn't. And you're going to go to jail. But nonetheless, because Jesus is fulfilling a prophecy from hundreds of years before in Zechariah chapter 9, that look at what happens here. It took place, verse 4, to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, verse 5, Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you. Listen here. Humble and mounted on a donkey. On a colt. The foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put them on their and put them on put on them their cloaks and he sat on them. Jesus was so poor he didn't even have a saddle. So they made one with their coat on a baby donkey. Not a mama donkey. Not a trusty steed (laughs) or a beautiful stallion or a racehorse that no doubt the Roman king would have had pulling his chariot. This is a this is a different kind of triumphal entry. So he sat on them, verse seven and verse eight. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. I think it's John that actually tells us that they're palm branches, hence Palm Sunday, if you're wondering. That was free. But here it is, verse 9. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting Hosanna to the Son of David. That was significant because that is where they were drawing their hope that God had come in the flesh, that this in fact was the Messiah who would make all things right for them. They were in the process of missing the reason that Jesus came to this earth in the first place. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? That's a key question. And if you're here today or you're watching online and you don't know Jesus, this is the question that you must wrestle with on this Palm Sunday, on this triumphal entry, on this Easter season, is that Jesus is the most significant person in the history of the world, bar none. But he wasn't just a good man. He claimed to be God. And so he was either a liar, a lunatic, Where he really and truly is Lord and worthy of you surrendering your your entire life to him in this very moment. Who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And he healed them. And there's much more to the story, but I want to stop there for the sake of time. Because... I want you to see just a few things about Jesus from this text, from this passage, about this God who would be so audacious as to walk on this earth and give up his life so that thousands of years later, I could stand here and look you in the eye and say, He is worthy of you surrendering your entire life to him, no matter what happens. Who is this Jesus? If you're taking notes, you can write down three things About Jesus. The first one, very obvious, and it's stated right there in the text, is that Jesus is a humble king. He's a humble king. This is the first thing that begins to separate Jesus from the kings that they were used to because they come and they create the atmosphere that they believed a king deserved. And another gospel writer uh, reminds us that the Pharisees came and said, somebody needs to quiet these people down. Why are they worshipping this guy? And Jesus looks at those Pharisees and he says, if these people stop, if these people stop shouting my name and worshipping me as God, Jesus says, these very rocks will start to cry out. We're talking about a, a different level of power. But Jesus is humble. Jesus rides into his triumphal procession on a donkey. A baby donkey, nonetheless. If you don't know anything about riding animals, they need to be what is called broken. In other words, you don't just grab a wild animal and hop on its back and think it's going to go well. Like like this baby donkey is going to walk through a parade of screaming people very calmly. But isn't it awesome that it's reminiscent of the fact that the scripture tells us elsewhere in Romans that even creation groans with anticipation that God will come and make all things new. The psalmist writes, the heavens declare the glory of God. The rocks will cry out if we don't. Listen to me. Jesus will be worshipped whether you do or not. Are you tracking with me? What's true is true, whether you surrender to it or not. The good news, though, is that you're not just surrendering to a king, you're surrendering to a good king, you're surrendering to a humble king. This is not a chiseled steed, but an unbroken baby donkey, and it was the most humble way other than foot to travel Maybe for some, not even just humble, but humiliating. There was no other king in that moment in time, or today, that would ride on a baby donkey. Certainly not a sign of royal prestige and power. (laughs) It'd be more like you can ride in the Hummer stretch limo or the 1997 Prius. Take your pick, and he chooses the Prius for some reason. Not exactly the flashy entrance of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, but we're learning about Jesus here, aren't we? We're learning about who this God is and what he intended to do. He defines greatness different than we define greatness. He's humble. Isaiah Hundreds of years earlier would say this about who Jesus was in Isaiah 53 too, For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no former majesty that we should look at him. And no beauty that we should desire him. As billions of people watch the royal family wishing that we could be them And have the life that they have, they're so beautiful, they have everything, they've never needed anything, they have power, prestige, all the things we wish we had. No, no, Jesus had no beauty that we should desire him. He was an altogether different kind of king. This king is different, he doesn't come to us on our terms. This is important for you as you consider what it is to follow Jesus that he's not coming to you on your terms. And while that might feel like bad news, I want to encourage you that that's actually great news because the Bible says that your heart and my heart are deceitfully wicked above all things who can know it. See, we in fact will make the wrong decision when given that kind of power, don't we? We do. The people are shouting, Hosanna, save us now. They had a king in front of them and they missed the point. They were looking for a different kind of king. And let me ask you that, on this Palm Sunday, what kind of king are you looking for? Maybe things are great in your life right now. And you didn't even think about who the king of your life is because you're killing it. Bible says, whatever circumstances you find yourself in, be content. Maybe you're not doing great right now. Maybe you're, like we talked about last week, asking questions about your faith. Wondering who is this Jesus that that guy talks so highly of <laughs> up there. And is he really worth my pursuit, what kind of king are you looking for? I want to tell you that this king is a humble king. But make no mistake about it, that Jesus being humble was not a sign of weakness, but a sign of greatness. Jesus would look his disciples in the eye, these two guys who he nicknamed the sons of thunder, James and John, and they would, they would come to Jesus, of all people, and say, where do you want us when we get to the throne room of heaven? One of us on your right, one of us on your left. <laughs> These are the same guys that, when a group of people were just kind of being rowdy, and not really believing in what Jesus was saying, they said, Jesus, what do you want us to do? Call down fire from heaven? Burn them up? Burn them alive? We'll do that for you. You don't need to get your hands dirty. We got this. These guys... Jesus would look them in the eye and say, no, 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 if you want to be great, you need to go serve. Because the last will be first and the first will be last. There's an altogether different kind of humility coming from this king. But although Jesus was humble and came to serve you of all people and me of all people, us, his people, it was on Good Friday that we learned he is in fact not weak but very strong. He's humble. But the second thing, if you're taking notes, you can write down, is Jesus is king. He's humble, but he is king. Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem through this triumphal procession where people are shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Here comes King Jesus presenting himself humbly on a donkey. Presenting himself as he fills prophecy from hundreds of years earlier but make no mistake he's presenting himself as a king so listening to one one author talk about when jesus came in and uh if you pay attention as he is healing people through the gospels and setting people free he will frequently tell them not to tell anybody That's such a frustrating thing in the Bible to me, because I'm close to that. I have a mom who's lived out of a wheelchair. She's been paralyzed from her waist down for the last 35 years, 33 years. And I'm just telling you, if tomorrow my mom got in a plane and flew down here and walked off the plane to give me a hug, you better believe I would not be silent, right? Right? Because we get it, when something incredible happens, we tell people. What what, what did it mean in Matthew 28 when Jesus, after rising from the dead and looking his disciples in the eyes, said, go into all the world and preach the gospel that you and I are literally here right now because something great happened and they could not keep it to themselves. We get that. Jesus would tell them not to tell anybody and they usually didn't listen. We'd usually go tell, but he was concealing that because he wasn't done with his ministry yet. And so there takes a significant shift here in the attitude of Jesus that he would walk through this procession, allow the people to praise him, step into the temple, which was the epicenter of those people's lives and declare not that they were going to have church, but that this was his house. Now, we don't walk into Redeemer City Church and go, this is mine. You're here for me. No, we don't want to do that. Because it's not ours. It's a privilege to be adopted into the family of God. We are one, John 17 tells us. We want to be together. But Jesus walked in in this moment and no longer is concealing who he is. He's affirming the declarations of the people and he steps into the temple The temple of God and says, this place is mine. And so what he's really doing here is he's pressing you and I. He was pressing these people in this moment to make a decision. To really and truly deal with who is Jesus. Is he going to be just another guy that said some good things? Or is he going to be Lord of my life? Who is this Man, this week is about you figuring that out and declaring Jesus as Lord of your life. Because let me remind you, you can't have the Savior without having the Lord. It comes as a package deal. When He saves you, He takes over. And maybe you're sitting here today and going, like, I'm I'm not sure I want that. Can I just encourage you that that might feel difficult to you? But any one of us in this room who have spent any significant time following Jesus can tell you that it's the best news that you could ever hear in your life. Because this Jesus is different. This King is different. But He is making us choose That same author said it this way. You can crown Jesus or you can kill Jesus. That's the decision. But he's pressing even us now. Because if you're taking notes, number three. Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. One of the subtle yet powerful details in this progression of story as it comes is in just a few chapters later, in Matthew chapter 26, Jesus will institute what we refer to as the Lord's Supper or communion or the Eucharist, depending on your tradition. Can't get my Bible open. And he would institute this, but I want you to listen to the things that he says, because we know about the body and blood of Jesus. But there's another detail here that... Clues us in and keys us in to where we get our hope from in this life. Listen to what it says. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread. And after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. We're going to do that on Good Friday. That is what Friday will be centered on. And what we will think about is Jesus on the cross on our behalf. But look at this next verse in verse 29 as he tells them this. And there are no doubt soaking in what was taking place and what was about to happen. He had just told Judas that you're going to be the one to betray me. And I'm sure the disciples were mulling that over and trying to take in the gravity of that situation that the thing Jesus had been saying was about to happen, and one of their own was going to set it in motion. He says these words, I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. As we look around us at what's broken at what's sinful, about the fickled nature of the decision making of this world. We are not hopeless. We are not hopeless on this holy week. We do what Christians have done, billions of them, for thousands of years as we stand here on this day and declare that Jesus is Lord, that He's a different kind of King, that on Good Friday He was creating something new for His people. And that we sit here gathered as those people because of that, that you can gather here with great hope and great anticipation. That no matter what in front of you, no matter what is in front of you, you have a God who is bigger than all of it. Jesus is coming again and we have a profound hope, an unruly hope one that doesn't make sense in light of the things going on in this world. No mask, no virus, no government, no nothing can separate you from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus. Not persecution, not having too little, not having too much, nothing. you can quite literally be set free in your soul right now. Jesus walked that royal road 2,000 years ago and gave up his life on that brutal Roman cross so that you and I and everybody could have the opportunity to be set free and find life and hope and peace. But the only thing that will satisfy your soul is surrendering your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's it. In the last book of the Bible, Revelation, a series of letters is written to seven different churches, and in one of the letters we see this invitation from Jesus. And I want you to listen to it. He says this in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Jesus stands at the door of your heart, and He's knocking. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. You see, it's the surrendering, it's the opening the door of your heart to the lordship of Jesus that he says, if you'll do that, if you will lay your life down, you'll find it in me. But make no mistake about it, he wants all of you, not some of you. Just like you can't have the Savior without the Lord. He doesn't want you without your heart. Whether you've known Jesus for decades or today is the day that you will first surrender to Him, there is freedom in Jesus. If you're a Christian and you're stagnant or you're just beat up by the things of this world, let me tell you that right now you can be free. What has severed that relationship for you? Selfishness? Things going great? Things going bad? What what is it that has separated that relationship? If you're not a follower of Jesus, if you've never surrendered to Jesus, what's keeping you from Him? Anything in this world, there is freedom in Christ. It's actually really simple. In Romans ten nine, it says this: If you confess with your mouth, you have to say it, you've got to declare it, that Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead that first Easter. You will be sent about who he is. So why don't you stand with me as they come. But don't leave this moment. Don't leave this moment. Because what I want you to think about quite literally determines the course of your life. If you are a Christian but you are not living as though He is the Lord of your life. Can I just encourage you in this moment as the beginning of Holy Week kicks off, and as we begin to set our face toward Good Friday and towards Easter, and as we start to think about the people who aren't in the family of God that we know that need to be in the family of God, and as you commit to pray for them and invite them and talk to them about Jesus, all things that we are called to do, Jesus said, go into the hedges and highways and compel people to come in that my house would be full. We want to be about that this week. But before we step into that moment, I want to ask you, are you right with God? Have you stepped away from seeing him as the Lord of your life? And what is he asking you to do in this moment? Don't let today slip past you without dealing with that, so that as you step into this week, that you can commune with the Lord. And that's great news for you today, friend. That if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus raised from the dead, you will be saved. That can be your reality today. Romans tells us, Paul told us that when you make that confession, that He adopts you into His family. What a beautiful picture of the love of God. That He loves you Cares for you. Wants to come in and dine with you. And give you peace. Would you do that today? You don't need a magic prayer. You don't need a magic person. You just need in the quietness of your own heart. In this moment as we sing. To talk to the Lord in the quietness of your soul. And declare to him. That you do believe. That he is Lord and that you do believe that he rose from the dead and that this Easter you want to be one unlike any other and the Bible says you will be saved but I gotta ask you a selfish question if you do that would you come tell us because what comes next is that you join a family and we wanna walk with you and be with you because the Bible says that we are his body do life together. So as we sing, whether you've known him or whether you are meeting him for the first time, why don't you take this opportunity as we praise his name to do business with Jesus in your heart. Let's sing it out.